This evening I ask that you take your copies of God's Word in hand, either physical or digital, and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, as we continue through this wonderful um, book that talks and about the Lord Jesus and tells us who He is and why He came and what He came to do and what He calls us to. Um, last time we looked in Mark, uh, Mark 10, we looked at Christ's teaching on marriage as He pointed back to Genesis and the purpose of marriage um, in response to the challenge of the Pharisees. And in this passage this evening, He talks to us, as we've already said, about children how the Lord Jesus views children, and what we can learn from them. And here in this passage, Christ is called upon to bless children that were being brought to Him. And we see in this passage His concern for children, and that we have much to learn about how we should approach Christ and His kingdom. This is a short text. It's just four verses, uh, beginning with verse 13. Um, But before we read it, let us pray and ask God's blessing upon His Word. Heavenly Father, we come before You recognizing our need for You. Lord, we confess our spiritual poverty, Lord, and we recognize that we need You. Lord, we thank You for Your Word, that it is sufficient and that, that You have given it to us for our spiritual life, that we, through it, we might know God, that we might know the provision of salvation that you, O oh God, have, have given to us in your Son, the Lord Jesus. And Lord Jesus, as we look at your earthly ministry during your time of, of sojourn upon this earth, Lord, we, we pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive your word this evening. Bless my attempts at proclaiming your word, and Lord, may your word go forth with power. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked him. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Amen. And we praise God that he has spoken to us this evening in his holy and inerrant word. We live in a strange, if not schizophrenic age when it comes to children. On the one hand, we have a whole host of parenting styles and names with which we identify those parenting styles, often based upon some excess within that technique or that style. We have what psychologists have termed helicopter parents, who hover always near their children, making sure that they're safe. We have tiger parents who are always pushing their children to excellence in academics or music or other challenging endeavors, almost to punishing levels. Then you have the opposite of the tiger parent, the elephant parent, who is always seeking to encourage their children and making sure that they're secure emotionally. 
We won't take time to talk about the dolphin parent, which I'd never heard of before, the attachment parent, or the free-range parent. My point is, is that parents go to such extremes, and at times they live their lives in such a way, and they push their children to the point that their children and their activities become idols. And then at the same time, we are in a nation that literally and figuratively throw their children in the garbage. Since the Roe v. Wade decision in 1973 that was handed down by the U.S. Supreme Court, there has been over 60 million children aborted in this nation. What a strange day that we live in. Because we despise the arrival of children, and then when we have them in our own sweet time, we turn them into idols. And in this text tonight, Jesus is showing... Again, how countercultural he is. Here he took children in his arms. He blessed them in an age and a culture that looked down upon children. He took time for them. He blessed them in an age when society cast them away and deemed them unworthy of their time. And I want us to consider this passage under three headings. First, we see something we've already seen in Mark before, and we will see again, and that's the pride of the disciples. The pride of the disciples. Secondly, we'll consider the reaction of Christ in this passage. And then finally, we want to consider the faith of a child. As we said, the the pride of the disciples is something that is not new. Mark is very candid in explaining to us the nature of the disciples, their Sometimes their inability to understand the kingdom and then their own self-centeredness, their pride, their exclusivity when it came to thinking about the kingdom. We see many of these things shown in this passage tonight. We saw it in the previous chapter when they stopped a man who was doing good works in Christ's name. Why? Well, it was because that man wasn't one of us, they said. He was not somebody that was in the in crowd. We saw it again as the disciples argued over who was the greatest. And we'll see it again later in in this same chapter when when two of the disciples, James and John, are competing and saying, Lord, would you grant it that we can sit one on one side and one on the other when you come into your kingdom? When you come into your glory, give us these chief seats, they said. Their pride is so evident here And their pride is evident in their reaction to those who brought their children to Jesus. People here brought their their children to Christ for his blessing. We're not really told specifically who these parents are or who these people are, but it's likely that it is the parents because it says that they are bringing little children. Um, The ESV says children. Other texts say little children. We see that Christ picks these children up, which seems to point to the fact that they're small children, which would lead us to believe that it was likely the parents that were bringing these small children to Christ. But the disciples, they wanted nothing of it. These children had no standing in society. We don't know exactly what they thought. Initially, we might think, well, Jesus didn't have time for them. He had more important things to do. He had people to heal. He had teaching to do. He didn't want to waste his time on insignificant children. But I think it's more than that. That is part of it, I think. But there's a bigger issue that caused them to react as they did. 
And that was their pride. That they were insulted by the fact that their ministry team had to take time for these insignificant children. Their heart was not in the right place. They didn't understand the kingdom of God. And they rebuked the parents that brought their children to Christ. And the the passage gives us a clue of of how Christ looked at that. It said he was indignant with them. He, He was displeased greatly that the disciples would act in such a way. And there's parallels with this passage between our text this evening and a previous text that we've already looked at. When Jesus rebuked the Lord, I'm, I'm sorry, when Peter rebuked Jesus, when he talked about his own death. And then Jesus turned around and rebuked Peter sharply because it, his reaction showed his influence of Satan's influence upon his heart. And that's why Jesus responded with the words he, he did when he said, get behind me, Satan, and identified Peter in such strong language. <clears throat> identified Peter's thinking, I should say. And again, Jesus admonishes the disciples for their elitism in chapter 9 when they sought to forbid the man who had cast out a demon in Christ's name. And both of those situations, as well as the one before us this evening, show the true heart of the disciples, that they were out of line with Christ's intentions for his kingdom. Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. He came for the outcasts, the downtrodden, the insignificant, and for the children. And he came to redeem those by the most humble means, by being born of a virgin in a stable And by dying a death, and that's how he redeems a people to himself. And and, and as the disciples rebuked these ones that brought their children to Christ, they were really identifying more with the Pharisees than they were acting like the Lord Jesus. And so Jesus is saying that if you reject my ways, if you reject my kingdom, you reject me. So they show their pride by their misrepresentation of the character of God and pursuing their own agenda. So what was the reaction of Christ in this? Well, we've touched on it a bit. He he was indignant, the text says. He was displeased and that came out in his language to them. He showed his disapproval of their behavior saying, no, don't forbid them, let them come. And, and that was not just because he wanted to gain favor of those parents or, or to be popular as, as politicians, at least in, in olden days, used to go around kissing babies to gain favor. No, it was nothing of that. There was a genuine desire on the part of our Lord to embrace these children and to show his love even for them. And he wanted to teach his disciples something. He said that the kingdom belongs to such people. Christ is the king, and his kingdom has come for those who receive him in a similar way as these children. These children should not be held back from Christ because they help us to see what kind of people receive the kingdom. Jesus invited the children to him, and it says in verse 16 that he took them in his arms and he blessed them. Jesus lovingly and wholeheartedly embraced these children and drew them to himself. And while we see his literal and his spiritual embrace of these children, we we can't 
automatically assume that is in a salvific sense. We know that we are all born in sin. David reminds us that we are sinners even within the womb. Ephesians tells us that we are children of wrath. We are born in sin. Yet the parents brought these children to Christ. These parents who were likely Christ's disciples and they wanted Jesus to bless their children. They wanted the children to be part of the kingdom. And despite the opinion of the noble Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon, who said about this text that it is not, has not the shadow of the shade of the ghost of a connection with baptism, I think there is a connection with our practice of infant baptism. Because while we, we can't say that it's a proof text to lean upon in, in that way, there is a connection in that these people wanted their children to be included in God's kingdom. They wanted Christ's blessings. They trusted his teaching. They recognized who he was, that, and, and they were likely part of the, the, the community that was following his disciples. And they wanted his, their, Jesus to bless their children. They recognized his presence and his kingdom as being a place of blessing. And is that not what we do when we bring our children to be baptized? We bring them to Christ. We ask that he set his seal and blessing upon them, knowing that it is through, in and through the church that these blessings come. And because Jesus included children in kingdom blessings, we should too. And we're reminded of that when we bring our children to be baptized. And what a, what a blessing it is to see the the. The, um, the liturgy of our baptisms and the continual reminder that we have as parents and that we ha- others in the, commu- in the church has as, as part of the covenant community in encouraging and, and, in, and helping parents in the job that they have before them. We're called to love our children, to teach them God's word, to pray with and for them. And then the rest of the congregation is asked if they will assist those parents in that endeavor. What a blessing that is. And some of the practical implications of that is that we should continually evangelize our children. We should recognize that that even young children can have faith. Now, this is something we have to be careful with, obviously. And I think that we should should be very judicious as we think about our children and their profession of faith. But we need to realize that, that, that God can quicken their hearts. God can give them an understanding of their sinfulness and their need for a Savior. And while that doesn't mean that that's an automatic path into church communing membership, we have to realize that we must keep the gospel before them. For we all need the gospel kept before us. We need that for ourselves. We should press upon our children their need for a savior. And we should disciple them. As as the the language of of our baptism um, ceremony says, we should teach them the doctrines of our holy religion. I love that from the BCO. The doctrines of our holy religion. And, and that's why we, we catechize our children. That's why we teach them the Westminster Shorter Catechism, because it, it, it gives them scriptural, doctrinal truths in, in little capsules that they can hide away and that they, they can put away, and it helps to understand the whole, helps them to understand the whole of Scripture. 
And that's why we have a robust children's ministry here at Christ Church. Not because we want to replace parents or absolve them of their responsibility. No, because we want to come alongside them and assist them in the work that God has called them to as godly parents. To bring their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Children are included in the kingdom. And so Christ's reaction was one of indignation towards the disciples for their pride and their exclusion of children. Jesus, on the other hand, his reaction was to include them and to invite them and to bless them. Thirdly, I want us to consider the faith of a child. I think there's much for us to learn here, and especially as we look at verse 16, which says, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And there's an emphatic negation there. It could be translated, these will certainly not enter the kingdom. There is something that we have to learn, believe it or not, adults, from children about faith. And that is this, that we have to have humility. That we have to recognize our need. A child knows he's a child. A child is not afraid to ask for help because they know that they need it. Now, I know there are exclusions and exceptions to this rule. I've seen it in my own children. There are those children, and it's not unusual for a child to say, no, I don't need your help. But then often they do recognize their need because they recognize that they are little, that they are needy, that they can't reach that thing, that they can't walk as fast as their parents. They recognize their need. They recognize their dependence upon their parents. How endearing is it to see a child who lifts up their arms and says, Daddy, help me. That's the picture I think we need to have in our minds of the faith of a child. Children also exhibit a simple faith. When they're small, they are dependent upon their, their parents for everything. They trust in their parents to provide their every need. And there should be a natural trusting in their parents' provision for them. Paul Tripp tells the story of, of a, one of his, when, years ago when his children were smaller, and um, one of his sons was playing baseball with some rocks and a stick, and he was batting these rocks at, like they were baseballs, and one of them hit another, hit his brother squarely in the head. And he's laying there in a pool of blood, and, and uh, Paul Tripp comes over to him, and, and, and he's trying to assess the situation and, you know, hold the wound and, and stop the flow of blood. And he sees his son muttering something, and he's, he's not sure what he's saying. And he leans down, and he listens to him, and he says, and the, and the little boy is saying, I'm just so glad my dad's a doctor. I'm just so glad my dad's a doctor. What he didn't know was Paul Tripp was not a medical doctor, but, but a Ph.D., and a psychologist, and his training was not going to help him, especially in that situation. But children have a simple faith. They have a trust that, that, that often when we become adults, and I think this is why it's, it's so often, we, statistically, we see many fewer people coming to Christ as adults because our, our faith gets, gets colored, it gets jaded, it gets... It, it, we, 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 we recognize the failings of people and, and 
too often that is reflected upon the Lord who invites us to come, who invites us to come simply, with simple faith, trusting wholly and completely upon him. And that's what we need to have. We must be, as we saw in the Beatitudes, we must be poor in spirit. We must recognize our spiritual poverty. When Jesus introduced his kingdom in Mark 1, he said, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. What simple language that is. Repent and believe the gospel. That's the words that heralded the kingdom, the coming of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Repentance means turning from our old ways and following Christ. It means acknowledging our sinfulness and renouncing our sinful ways and following the Savior. Believing the gospel means giving up our self-sufficiency, depending upon Christ alone for salvation and for the strength and ability to live the Christian life. Believing the gospel means that we recognize there's nothing worthy in us. And so that we must cast all our all upon Christ as he is offered to us in his word. To receive the kingdom of God like a child means to abandon all hope of saving ourselves and to rest completely upon Christ. Does that describe you this evening? Have you received Christ in such a way? If not, I invite you to receive Christ as a child in humble reliance upon him. But this is not just for unbelievers. We all need this reminder. We all need this reminder that that we don't need a complicated faith to trust in Christ. We just need a simple faith that recognizes that we ain't got this. That we have to have Jesus. That we have to rely upon him. We need to be continually reminded of our own need. Our sin and our our inability 1 Corinthians tells us, Therefore let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. That's why we must abide in the vine. Abide in me, Jesus said. That's why we have to continually rely upon him to live the Christian life. For we know that the same grace that saved us from sin is the same grace that enables us to live the life of salvation, to live as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Let us pray.